Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy. And I'm Dablina Chakraborty. And this is our very special annual holiday episode. And one suggestion that we always uh, get around Christmas time is to do something on the history behind carols. And for most traditional carols, that would probably mean biblical history. I mean, that's what most carols are going to be about. Sure. Uh, Either that or some kind of aspect of the composition, you know, where the tune came from, who added the lyrics, when did Elvis cover the song? You know, all that sort of thing. Uh, but Dublina had another famous carol pop up in a recent article, and she was kind enough to remind me of it. I did. Sarah was searching for a Christmas idea she loves to do every year, and I was editing 10 Christmas myths. And uh, in the course of just researching ideas for that, uh, Good King Wenceslas came up. And it just so happens that that is your favorite Christmas carol. Well, Isn't that right? It's up there. It's kind of a, a, a tradition that uh, my dad and I have to perform Good King Wenceslas. So uh, when when you told me about that and when you told me, yeah, Wenceslas was a guy, I was hooked. I had to find out more about this. And just to give you guys a little background on the carol, if you're not familiar with it already, I kind of like it because it is sentimental. I mean, after all, the good king is taking it upon himself to bring a poor man flesh and wine and some pine logs all in the middle of the snowstorm and all with the help of his trusty page. But it's never maudlin either because it has this really clippy sort of tune. Christmas songs can can get <laughs> they can. can cross over into that territory pretty easily. But this one always is, is stirring almost. Some of the lyrics are entertaining to me. Um, Thither is always one. <laughs> kind of gets me, uh, making fuel into three syllables. And then others are just comically dramatic. And we're going to talk about the composition a little bit more. But a great example of this is heat was in the very sod which the saint had printed. Yeah, what does that mean? It means that Wenceslas is walking in the snow and melting it because he is so good. Oh, nice. Um, nevertheless, though, while researching this episode, I found that a lot of people had very intense reactions to, to this Christmas carol. You know, they said that it was deeply moving to them. Um, it, it was something that made them tear up almost. And I've always found it more of a fun carol, but that reaction that people have come from it uh, uh, having a strong message behind it, one of giving to others who are less fortunate. Yeah, ye who now will bless the poor shall yourselves find blessing. Exactly. You'd be mistaken, though, if you thought that Wenceslas was someone cooked up for a nice carol with a good moral, just an anonymous king with an excess of pine logs. As we said, he was indeed a real person, but not exactly the person that's represented in the song. No. He was a 10th century Bohemian prince, one known for his generosity, but perhaps more famous for his murderous kinfolk and... Not to spoil the, spoil the surprise for you, but also known for his exhumation. And once I found out that, too, I mean, come on. That Wenceslas, just makes it perfect for us. Exhumation. Uh, Wenceslas, though, was actually born Václav in 907 near Prague in what was at the time Bohemia. Today it's the Czech Republic. And our first carol myth-busting, and Dublina already hinted at this, he was not a king. Instead, he was a duke or a, a sovereign prince in the house of Premisal. 
His grandfather, a prince named Butchevoy, had established this house, which lasted more than 500 years, and had married a princess named Ludmila. And uh, together, this couple converted to Christianity. They set up Prague's first Christian church. And eventually, Butchevoy was succeeded by his son, who was Wenceslas' father. And just to get into a little interesting linguistic side note here, um, Butchevoy's life is really, really hazy. I mean, not much seems to be known about him except that he started this house, he converted to Christianity. Um, but it is known who converted him, and it was a guy named St. Methodius. And along with his brother Cyril, Methodius is called the Apostle of the Slavs and helped invent the Slavic alphabet that eventually became the Cyrillic alphabet. So I knew you guys who like language things would be interested in that. But back to Wenceslas's life, Ludmila ended up having a really important role in that. In fact, she raised him, focusing mainly on his education, which was something that was uncommon for nobles at this time. Apparently, a lot were just illiterate. Yeah, and she also focused a lot on his religious instruction. So he grew up a practicing Christian. And this proved to be a pretty big problem when Wenceslas's father died. And that's because Wenceslas's mother, Drahomira, the arrogant was her nickname, she proudly adhered to the pre-Christian Southern Slavic religious beliefs and as regent was suddenly in a really awkward position with her Christian mother-in-law. Either that or she simply chose to align herself with the faction of government that preferred the old beliefs and really wanted Ludmila's Christian influence on the future sovereign to be brought to an end. So ultimately, Wenceslas was removed from his grandmother's care and Ludmila was strangled with her own veil at a castle, likely on the orders of Drahmira, according to Encyclopedia Britannica. She was also later canonized. Which is going to run in the family, too. Uh, so, yes, a brutal end for Wenceslas's great grandmother. Uh, and then, of course, attempts were, were made to bring him, he was a teenager by this point, back into the pre-Christian Slavic religious fold. That didn't really work, though. You know, his grandmother had, had raised him with these beliefs. He was considered very pious. He was said to have taken a vow of chastity. And he encouraged missionary work, too, in Bohemia, German missionaries to come in and, and uh, convert his his fellow people. Um, he, he especially tried to make his people enthusiastic about Christianity, building these beautiful churches, kind of following in his grandparents' footsteps there, holding feasts. He also decisively defeated his opponents in battle to become the definitive ruler of Bohemia. I mean, there was no question anymore who was who was the prince slash duke. Uh, he he expanded the kingdom, and after that too, he banished his mother and reversed her policies of persecuting Christians, and really focused on education. Something that ultimately contributed to that good king sort of reputation he had. According to an article by Stephen Otfanowski in Mental Floss, he was also said to have been very kind to children and to the poor, which is all good carol material if you're thinking way far down the line. Despite the religious tensions still existent in Bohemia, though, it was an alliance that ultimately brought an end to Wenceslas's reign. In 929, he chose to 
pretty much align himself as a junior partner with the German King Henry I, the Fowler. From Wenceslas's perspective, this was preferable to war with Germany and an invasion, especially since Bohemia was still able to maintain much of its independence. But to Bohemian nobles, this was just the last straw. So a contingent encouraged Wenceslas's younger brother, Boleslav, to seize the princedom for himself. And like much of the story, the details of what happened next are kind of scanty. In one version, Wenceslas is invited by his brother to a religious festival, and Boleslav murders him on the way to church. In another version, Boleslav actually avoids murdering Wenceslas himself, actually doing the deed, and instead has Wenceslas murdered by, during mass by a henchman. Either way, though, Wenceslas was murdered September 28, 929. He was only 22 years old. And I think that's going to be our Carol myth busting number two, because even though the Carol doesn't really spell it out, it just seems to hint that good King Wenceslas was an old, jolly man. Um, my my family's book of Christmas carols even has an illustration of him, and he's clearly an, an elderly fellow with a large beard. Um, but yeah, he was only 22, and, and after he was dead, uh, Boleslav succeeded his brother and ultimately became known as the cruel or the bad. Um, although he was actually quite successful in his rule, he expanded Bohemia. Uh, added quite a bit more territory. And in his uh, 38 years of power, too, he did not reverse Wenceslas's Christian agenda either. You know, that it's sometimes set up as that sort of story. It was his um, pre-Christian brother trying to get back to the old ways. Right. But uh, he continued to allow missions. He didn't get into the sort of religious persecution that had happened during his mother's regency. Um, though it is interesting to note that the royal house that had been started by by these two fellows' grandfather was particularly plagued by this sort of family strife. Um, it lasted until 1306, you know, remarkable, almost 500 years, I think I, I mentioned earlier. Um, but Boleslav's grandsons murdered each other, and other family feuds and murders stretched into the 11th century. And a lot of the trouble came from there not being a strict line of succession. You know, sometimes it would just be whoever in the family was oldest, and that might be a younger brother. Sometimes it would be the the duke slash prince's eldest son. All kinds of messy business. Right. So fratricide is rarely a good PR move. And for Boleslav, despite his political successes that Sarah just mentioned, it meant that he was faced with a growing cult around his dead brother. So reports of miracles near Wenceslas's grave started trickling in almost immediately. And unfortunately, we weren't able to find examples no, of those yeah. exact miracles. I was trying to find specific examples of, of what happened and what led to his sainthood, but I couldn't find a single thing. I mean, I'm guessing we're just going to have to imagine some of the standard miracle, miraculous sort of stuff for Wenceslas here. But what we do know is that Boleslav ultimately had Wenceslas exhumed and reburied in the Church of St. Vitus in Prague, which became a prime pilgrim's destination a few hundred years later. And Boleslav went down in history as the cruel, while murdered Wenceslas became a Czech patron saint. And even today, his feast day, which is September 28th, the day that he was murdered, is a national holiday, and a statue stands proudly in Wenceslas Square in Prague. There's even a parody of the famous statue 
that's really close to the original. It's by David Cerny, and it features Wenceslas riding on an upside-down dead horse. You'll see it a lot on some of those strangest travel destination lists, and some listeners hopefully will be able to post pictures of this if you visited. I expect pictures from you guys. Um, I'm sure folks have visited it. All right, so Wenceslas, Czech national hero. He's a saint, a murdered duke. But how did the Christmas Carol end up happening? Uh, finally, an English Anglican warden picked up this story. I mean, we're talking hundreds of years later and decided that it would actually be a f- pretty fitting reminder for teaching children about the importance of charity. And we're talking about John Mason Neal. He was the son of an Anglican clergyman and he himself was destined for the clergy and was ordained in 1842. But he was uh, in very poor health and couldn't actually go to work in a parish. And so instead, he got a job as the warden of Sackville College. And I know that sounds like an educational institute, but it was actually an almshouse. And he took his job pretty seriously there. Um, His early career, though, is very shadowed by suspicions that he was a crypto Catholic. Uh, he was, he was not popular among fellow Anglicans. Uh, Otfanowski, who I noted earlier, said that he was at one point even attacked by a mob and, uh, received threats against his home and his life. But he did develop a pretty solid reputation as a historian and a novelist and a translator of ancient and medieval works. And my absolute favorite job description of him comes from Oxford University Press, where they call him a hymnologist. And fortunately for us, John Mason Neal not only loved to translate hymns, but he liked to write them as well. Yeah, so, of course, Good King Wenceslas was part of Neil's canon of hymns and carols, specifically one meant for children, as Sarah kind of indicated earlier. According to BBC History magazine, he took the tune from a Scandinavian song that he found in a medieval book sent to him by a British ambassador in Stockholm. And interestingly, it's a springtime song, Tempus Adest Floridum. And he chose the Wenceslas story for the legends associated with the saint and went with Wenceslas instead of Vasla for them, uh, which was a good choice, good I think. Yeah. <laughs> and he published it in 1853, and it tops his fairly considerable list of Christmas hits, including O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and Good Christian Men Rejoice. So, of course, though, and this is something we couldn't go without mentioning, Good King Wenceslas isn't really a Christmas carol. So, you know, we've already said it's not about a king, (laughs) but it's not really a Christmas carol either. It's about St. Stephen's Day, and that's pretty evident from the the first line. Good King Wenceslas looked out on the Feast of Stephen. And um, as Stephen, St. Stephen, was associated with alms for the poor, so too was St. Stephen's Day. And according to Claire Suttis, in Time Magazine, December 26th was when the English poor traditionally received most charity. Uh, so this is an, another reason why it kind of makes sense for John Mason Neal writing a song meant to encourage charity. Um, but why this was, why December 26th was the day, um, might be because Anglican churches would have a collection box out during during all of Advent, collect donations for the poor, thus Boxing Day, or because the aristocracy or employees would give out gifts or boxes uh, to their servants the day after Christmas, because, of course, their servants might be working on Christmas Day. Uh, Boxing Day 
today is still a national holiday in England and Wales and Canada. In Ireland, it's still called St. Stephen's Day. Uh, it reminded me a little bit of the Halloween episode I did with Kristen because I kept on finding all these different traditions people have in various countries to celebrate this holiday. And in Ireland, they actually, uh, kids will attach a wren to a pole and parade it through town to celebrate St. Stephen's Day. Apparently, though, in England and Canada, it hasn't become so much a, a day of charitable giving <laughs> as a day of intense shopping, kind of like uh, the Black Friday, day after Thanksgiving sales we have here in the States. Interesting. So very cool to learn some of the history behind one of the coolest carols out there. Yeah. Did it change your perspective on the carol at all? Have you shared any of these details with your father? For <laughs> I haven't this yet. Year? I haven't yet, but I'm sure that this will be a story I will be relating over over our Christmas holidays. I'm kind of stuck on the idea of you and your dad performing this. I feel like we should have invited <laughs> your dad to the studio to, to hear a performance. I bet he would do it. I'm not totally sure. I'd, <laughs> I'd perform Good King once on the podcast, but... That he'd be game. Um, yeah, I, I'm thinking the biggest perception change I'm going to have to make is Good King Wenceslas as a 22-year-old. Yeah, that's true. I, too, that's pictured him as an handle. old guy. I know. Well, I'll work on that. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, though, uh, we'll be thinking up other topics for the new year and, and uh, wish all of you a very happy holiday and Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. No, any whatever you celebrate. Saturnalia, uh, Christtide. We've covered a lot of unusual holidays on our on our podcast in the past. We have, and we're always open to more. So we if are. you have any other sort of holiday suggestions, we may not be able to do them right now, but we'll definitely keep them on our to-do list for next year. So you can suggest those to us by writing to us. We're at HistoryPodcast at Discovery.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Missed in History. And if you want to learn a little bit more about Wenceslas, Sablina, you do have your, your article coming up, don't you? I do. Unfortunately, we don't have a Wenceslas entry in there. Oh, he no. didn't make the he list. Got cut. But we do have one about Boxing Day. Did okay. you know that apparently a lot of people think that Boxing Day is a day for boxing up all the presents you didn't want and taking them back to the store? Oh, that's just sad. Yeah. That totally is the opposite of what so it's about, I guess. You already busted that myth on this <laughs> podcast, but if you want to know a, a few more myths, nine more to be exact, and their, uh, I guess, uh, their, their true versions, um, the truth about them, you can find out all about that by searching on our homepage for 10 Myths About Christmas, and you can find us by looking up www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.